Good morning and welcome to the Monday Main Point. This is Jonathan Hendrickson. I'm joined with uh, youth pastor Jeremiah Custer, children's pastor Blake Flensham, and our senior pastor Jeff McCarthy. Um, and Monday Main Point is brought to you by uh, pastors here at Rosa, Bab- uh, Rosa Sharon Baptist Church. Uh, we It's our opportunity to get together. We do this anyway. We, we, we as pastors get together on Mondays and sort of break down sermons with each other and talk about things that we didn't get a chance to talk about in the in the message. We just thought we'd invite you uh, into the room with us as we're making as we're having these discussions. So today is uh, November the 23rd and it's Thanksgiving week. So happy Thanksgiving to all of you who uh, download this and listen to it. Hope you have a happy and safe Thanksgiving. And speaking about Thanksgiving, uh, we're going to jump right into a very thankful, thankful minor prophet. <laughs> Jeff, I, I have to say before we get started, I, I don't know, I, I don't know, you know, you, you've preached a long time, but my guess is, is that Nahum might be the oddest choice for a Thanksgiving sermon that you may have ever done. Yeah, it definitely wouldn't have <laughs> been on the list, period. So... <laughs> So I mean, but there, you know, the little passage about the remnant and the passage about the good news. Yeah, we're gonna get into that. We take did... those two out, but the rest of the book is like, mm. yeah, it's in especially in. I mean, unless you're thankful, you're not Nineveh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there before the grace of God go I. Um, so anyway, we're gonna look at uh, we'll look at Nahum together, and uh, Nahum is a short book, uh, three chapters long, mostly full of poems. Nahum, uh, uh, we don't know much about him as a prophet. I I did find out um, in this commentary, in fact, we were just talking about, his name means, ironically enough, comfort. Um, So Nahum's, the prophet's name means comfort. His message that he gives towards Nineveh is anything but comforting if you're a citizen of Nineveh. Uh, Most of what Nahum is about is he is um, sort of outlining uh, God's judgment. He's uh, on... Uh, the Israel's chief enemy, Assyria. And uh, that, that happens in chapter 1. Chapter 2 is really all about the attack that's going to happen on the capital city of Assyria, and that's Nineveh. And then chapter 3 is, okay, Nineveh's fallen. How is that going to affect Assyria as an empire? And, of course, it's going to, you know, you know Assyria's going to be mocked, and, and, and you know, because Babylon is going to come in. If you don't know the history... Uh, Assyria comes in and they uh, attack Israel and Judah and they take the Israelites into exile um, into Assyria and then a bigger, badder enemy comes along and that's Babylon and Babylon's going to come in and conquer Assyria and conquer Judah and then next week we'll look and see that even Babylon's not, uh, not bigger and badder because there's going to be a bigger, badder empire that's going to come in, and they're going to take over Babylon. So um, all this, though, I think, um, and I, I saw this in the Bible Project, so this is not an original to me, but both Nahum and Habakkuk in many ways, Jeff, I think these two actually work really well together. They, they, they're, they're sort of tongue and groove with one another um, because both of them are really dealing with this idea that... Um, while human history is full of violence and aggression and injustice, um, God ultimately will judge all of that. And, and this is all about how those things are not going to be allowed 
to have the final say. It'll be God who has the final say. And so uh, yesterday the message was all about the bad news of the gospel, which I thought was a clever title, by the way. Um, the bad news of the gospel. Gospel meaning good news. So the bad news of the good news. Um, and there are some good news stuff in Nahum. And I noticed yesterday um, in your message, you really didn't touch on that as much. I think you might have mentioned The third it in, point is when yeah. I brought in the remnant and brought in the, the, the good news of the messenger, which to them, that was the good news. The messenger comes, whether he had the copy of this book with him or not, and running and telling them, hey, here's what's happened to Nineveh. Right. Or rejoice because this is what's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, but then the question would be, what about our brothers, the Israelites, that were taken captive? So I think verse 1-7 was about that remnant uh, and there's there's quite a bit of discussion about that that town called Akosh A L Q U O S H, which mm -hmm. would be the um, Arabic rendition of Elkosh. And so a lot of the commentaries said this is where Nahum was from, and that he mm -hmm. had a firsthand experience. Like I, I picked the image of the prophet looking over the city burning. Like right. this was a firsthand account. He wrote sent the message back to Judah, which was good news, but in that message, give them that, that, that little saying about mm -hmm. the remnant, that mm -hmm. God does protect those. So Elkosh was like 30 miles north of um, Nineveh. So probably he was an Israelite, and maybe that's where they kept sheep, or maybe he tended flocks or whatever. He was he was away from the total destruction. Right, but right. the remnant was saved. Yeah. Kind of so... The, the first point, we'll just go down through this point by point because I think there's some stuff to talk about with each one of these. Um, the first point you talked about, um, the, the main part of the text that you focused on yesterday was in Nahum 1, verses 1 yeah, through the, 3. The beginning. Right, at the very beginning. Yeah, and kind of what, uh, you know, you talked about Habakkuk. I was kind of playing off Jeremiah's sermon on Micah mm -hmm. because it was a courtroom scene, and I thought, well, it's almost like Nahum then is like, he calls Nahum like, okay, we've got some expert witnesses here mm -hmm. in this courtroom drama. And so would you then tell us how God dealt with Nineveh? And so he begins, of course, with God's character, which I think Micah mentioned God's character. Yeah. I think Hosea mentioned it. Even Jonah mentioned God's character. So yeah. most of these prophets catch it all in with God's character. So to me, it was almost like, okay, this is uh, evidence, expert witness, number one, Nineveh. So that's kind of the way I was approaching it with this whole bad news of the gospel yeah uh, situation there no, that, that, that's <clears throat> that's interesting because I do I do think that these especially these three that we're doing in a row Mike and Nathan Habakkuk and we'll, I haven't read on to find out but I, these three definitely are just hand in hand with one another all the way through and I think you said the next one that you do is more the same it's just focused on Judas yeah so. it's like okay everything I said about Nineveh uh yeah, I can say about you too. So. Right, right. So let's let, let, let's look at those verses that we, we focused on yesterday and just talk a little bit more about some, some concepts there. Um, the first one that Nahum says, uh, Nahum says that the Lord is a jealous, is a jealous God, or, or in this translation, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. This idea of God's jealousy, and you talked a lot about that in your message yesterday. Um, Jeremiah, sometimes... We use we use language. The Bible uses language that can sometimes I think be confusing to an average person if they're listening. Um, you say God's jealous, right? And I think of 
I immediately, when you say jealous, I think of a couple of things. I think of like the green-eyed monster, right? I think of, I think of a jealous lover, um, that or a jealous husband or a jealous wife, or jealous girlfriend or boyfriend, right? Or, or when you were kids and you would get a, a you know, a new toy. We're here at Christmas. New toy at Christmas, and your friends were all jealous of you, and they wanted what you had. Is that? Is that how we're supposed to look at God as a jealous God that he's somehow like he 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 want you know he wants what we have and like he needs something that you know he needs something from us because if that's the case he doesn't sound very godlike. Yeah, and Jeff uh, dealt with this in the sermon, um, but even more so like you get to the love chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and it says that love is not jealous. Yeah. Um, and then you're like, well, how could God be jealous but also be loving? <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, that's a good point. And then Jeff said uh, that the word for jealous in the Hebrew, which is the Old Testament, that word used is only used in relation to God. So yeah, there's like six different scriptures. That yeah. Comes up. And of course, it comes up first in Exodus uh, chapter 20 in the law, on uh, the second law, uh don't make or, or break any idols, the idols law. Um, he says he's a jealous God. So yeah, I see that kind of like anger, how we talk about anger, mm-hmm. how there's there's a there's a righteous anger and there's an unrighteous anger or anger that leads to uh, sin. And of course, God God is opposite of sin. He cannot sin. And I, I think making that distinction between uh, God's righteous jealousy, meaning that he is worthy to be praised. He wants to be praised, and he does everything he can to make himself known. And so, uh, for those people, have no excuse but not to be in relationship and not to to worship him. Not that he's some demanding God, but he shows love to the people. And he's made covenants with people, including us. And uh, there's there's two sides of the same same coin, and he. He just simply doesn't want uh, other people to worship false things because they're uh, that's false hope. He doesn't want people to to, to have false hope. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so it's not it's not it's not a it's not a um, an envy like he wants something that we don't that, that he doesn't have because he's God. He has everything he needs, right? Yeah. So it's it's not that, but it has more. This is a particular type. I guess we say a particular type of jealousy. And I really kind of like one of the things you said in your message yesterday, Jeff, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, and you can feel free to jump in here and fix this if I, if I get it wrong, but I think you said something to the effect of if, if God has to be jealous, otherwise it's, it, uh, it does harm to, his, his, to him as God, right? It, like, like, his his deity, the fact that he is the one true God, mm, yeah. um, requires jealousy on his part because otherwise he's not God. If, right. if, if 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 you're worshiping something else, then he's not God, and and he is God. And like if there's anything else above him, then that lessens him as God. So of course he's he's jealous. He's he's saying you can't have any other gods above me. I don't, I don't know. If I'm, am I hitting? Yes. Yeah, am I explaining uh, that right? That's that's kind of what I was hitting at. That that if he's God, then of course if he's God, then we have to worship God. You know that's our response. We worship God. We serve God. We we want to, you know, 
the way the world is, we try to be good in order to earn God's love and right. all that. But but God's like, hey, I'm God, I'm the creator. I want to have a covenant relationship with you. And if I allow any other ideas of God or aspects of God or, or let you have God-like qualities yourself or uh, build your own gods, then I'm not God if I allow that to happen. So, mm-hmm. so he has to has to he has to uh, establish the fact that he is God, and he's jealous, and it is covenantal language. Even though we may not keep the covenant, he's going to keep it with us. Right, right. And so he proves himself <clears throat> by being jealous that he is God, and it's not the negative jealous like we talked about, but it's. It's that he, he he has no other choice but to but to say no. This is it. It's kind of like um, remember a few year, a couple of years back when um, we had the the football championship. Mm-hmm. But then that other team, I think it was Central Florida or somebody, said we're the champions because they went undefeated. Yeah, and they, yeah. They created their own championship trophy and all that, and they were like walking around like we're the champions. Like no. You're not. <laughs> this is the cha- this is the trophy. This is the, this right. is the champion. So it's the same thing. God is like, I am God. You right. Know, all these false gods, especially with the Israelites and all. You know, just because the Assyrians defeated everybody and they've got all these idols in their temple now, they didn't defeat me. Right. So that's kind of where what I think it's really important. Yeah. You know, like Jeff says something there that I I, I want to go back on too. Um, when we think about jealousy, a lot of times we think of it from a negative standpoint only. Yeah. We think of the neck because you know that's that's what or we're humans. That's what we do. Are there are there positives to jealousy? Are there are there things that you that are that are good about jealousy that that we can use to better understand this idea of God? Yeah, I think there definitely is because you know if you're jealous over something, that means you pursue something and you want something yeah. and you think it's worth putting the effort in for. And mm-hmm. you deem it valuable. So if, and obviously, if anything goes astray from that, yeah, you're going to be jealous. So I think, you know, I think a lot of times if you have the right mindset, so like say, take two people in a marriage covenant, you know, they love each other, but if one partner strays away from the other, I mean, that one has every right to be jealous because they, there's a good projection from them. You know, they have a high view of marriage. So I think, yeah. So just an example, I think there is a lot of positives that can come from being jealous. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. I think those are all great insights. Well, and too, <clears throat> I meant to, I didn't really <clears throat> focus in on this, but it was one of the things I thought about too, was that if we're in a relationship with him and he is jealous, he's jealous of us in that relationship with him. So therefore, um, if God's jealous, then he's jealous for his people too. Right. He's going to protect them. He's going to look after them. doesn't mean we're not going to pay the consequences of our sin and all, but he's going to be there for us to try to restore us, try to bring us back, which is what he did over and over and over and over and over. Right. I think I think the best, and I think to take all that as sort of into, into consideration, that maybe the best way to consider when we think about God's jealousy is in that sort of covenantal way. Yeah. There's, there, it's, 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 it's a, it's, it's, it's has to do with the covenant or the promise he's made uh, with his people. And, and, and uh, we see, we see Israel um, fall away from that a lot. And so as Syria has come in, in fact, as, as an instrument of God's judgment against Israel and, and their lack of keeping the covenant, but now God is bringing vengeance on, on, that, on that enemy. And so that brings us to that second point, the vengeance idea. 
that God will um, God will bring vengeance on on his enemies. God will bring vengeance on his enemies. Uh, he takes the the Lord takes vengeance against his foes. He is furious with his enemies. And I noticed yesterday, um, and I think it's good because because you're talking about it in relation with the gospel. So you got to think, okay, who is the enemy of God, right? And the enemy of God is simply that person who um, who rejects God or or who who will not accept his gift of grace. We all are born in sin, so uh, or we were born prone to sin. And we, uh, you know, we all, we all have gone astray, the Bible says. We're all lost. And none of us have righteousness um, that, 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 uh, that God requires. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're all lacking in that way. And so we end up the enemy of God. I know that's hard for people to hear, um, but I think that's accurate anyway. I think that those who are, um, I mean, would you say that we're, help me out with this, Jeremiah, would you say that we're, born as enemies of God? Um, like, are we, like, <laughs> see you smiling at me. Uh, what, I mean, or, or at least that, that the first moment we sin, or the moment we choose to sin, and we choose sin over God. We won't go to born. For, for, yeah. Whenever that is. Does that make us an enemy of God? Yeah, so we're born under the consequences of, of sin. That does, that does not mean we're born guilty of okay. sin. But we're born under the consequences of sin. So at the point when we can sin, we will sin. And when we do sin, then we are considered the enemies of God. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a common New Testament phrasing. Enemies of God or That sounds uh, so host- awful though because hostile to God. Because the world the, the world tries to say, Well, aren't we all just children of God? God loves his children. Mm-hmm. How can God's children be his enemies? Those two things don't reconcile with one another. Yeah. I'm just asking you. I mean, like, can you oh, yeah. explain so that? The, the world uh, talks about how we're all the children of God, and uh, they just don't have a clear understanding of, of sin and how it breaks our understand or our uh, relationship with God. God cannot, because He's holy, allow sin into heaven. However, He's made a way for that sin to be paid for. Uh, if if we didn't need that covering, then why would Jesus have to die at all? So, um, yeah, we're born enemies of God, but it doesn't have to stay that way. And by the way, for the Christian, we have no enemies, at least no enemies with flesh and blood. Um, I'm glad you're going here. Because yeah. what you're about to say is exactly what I, I kept thinking about yesterday, all during the message. Uh, I'm curious. Go ahead and go there. And then I'll see if you're if you and I are tracking on the same spot here. Yeah, sometimes like on social media and other other places, there's kind of this like us versus them mentality, and sometimes that spills over into Christianity, like it's it's us versus them. But the Bible is really clear to say that that Christians or those who have been redeemed and saved by Christ, um, we don't have any human enemies. All of our enemies are those that don't have flesh and blood, like ideals and sin and those types of things, principalities, demons, however you want to look at that. But um, So while, while God has enemies, it's our job to, to um, bring or, or to share his message, his gospel, so that they can become children of God. So one of the things that I, <clears throat> I, I thought about was... Um, 
not just the enemies of um, that that we are as sinners enemies of God, but that our enemies, like Israel, Israel's enemy here is Assyria. Assyria has oppressed them. Assyria has been um, has taken them captive. <clears throat> they've been they've been they've been taken captive by Assyria. They've been brought out of their homeland. They've been sent into exile, and <clears throat> so now they're separated from. The, the place of worship. And all I could keep thinking of along those lines was uh, that's what sin has done to us, right? <clears throat> sin and, and, and um, sin and Satan has uh, conspired to, uh, and death have conspired together to, to, to bring us away from God into exile. Um, and, and here we are languishing in exile under the oppression of our enemy. So, so when he speaks to Judah and he says, I will now break off his yoke from you and tear off your shackles. Mm. I, I was thinking to myself, that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. Mm. That he, he tore off the yoke from off of us, tore off the shackles from off of us. And then listen, listen to what he says about the Lord has issued order concerning Assyria. There will be no offspring to carry on your name, mm-hmm. Right. I will eliminate the carved idol and cast image from the house of your gods. I will prepare your grave, for you are contentable. There is a grave prepared for death. One day death will die, right? Yeah. And one day the same thing that's being said about the enemy of Assyria, uh, I'm sorry, Israel here is and will and can now be said about the, our enemies uh, as Christians, which you said it are not other people, but... Uh, their death. It, our enemy as human beings is death and sin and hell and the grave. And so um, I love I love at the end of Nahum when it says, King of Assyria, your shepherds slumber, your officers sleep, your people are scattered across the mountains with no one to gather them together. But listen, there is no remedy for your injury. Mm-hmm. Your wound is severe. All who hear the news about you will clap their hands because of you. Mm-hmm. For who has not experienced your constant cruelty? Who has not, Blake, experienced the constant cruelty of death? Right? Who who among us as humans has not experienced the constant cruelty of death? And to think that God is God's not just gonna conquer Assyria and Babylon and later Persia, right? And and Rome and all those. God's not just even gonna conquer um, the the people who uh, who refuse to, to acknowledge his to acknowledge him as God. He's going to conquer cosmic enemies for us. Absolutely. And has conquered cosmic enemies yep. for us, and so Nahum, dude, Jeff, Nahum is a it, it's a it's a prophecy of bad news, but that bad news really can be good news for the for the Christian. Yeah, when you think about it that way. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and it is a uh, great news. The fact that you know in Romans it does say that if God is for us, who can be against us? But in Nahum we see that God, you know, it says the Lord of hosts, the Lord of heavenly armies. He says in Nahum chapter 3, verse 5, he says, Behold, I'm against you. Mm-hmm. So if God mm-hmm. is against you, who is who can be for you? Yeah. But that same God also wants us to be that same God also wants to be for us through Jesus Christ. Yeah. And of course, to to your point in the message, Jeff, and I think it's a, it's one that we need to we need to remember because again, I think a lot of us think that we're all friends of God mm-hmm. by default, right? <laughs> But the truth of the matter is, is that those same, those same, that same defeat that the cosmic enemies of, of humanity 
will ultimately face. That's going to be the that's going to be the fate of a lot of people, a lot of people, uh, because uh, they didn't accept God's God's gracious gift. And I mean, that's something that you said. And I think what when we think about that, like what impact should that have on us as Christians, especially in this day and time that we're living in right now? Well, it kind of goes back to what you were talking about earlier when people say, well, you know, isn't God a loving God and we're all part of God? And so they have, they've created a, an, an image of God or an explanation of God or a concept of God in their own image, basically. Mm-hmm. And so when God talks about, um, you know, he's going to avenge his enemy, not Judah's enemy, mm-hmm. not even Israel's enemy, not even humankind's enemy, but these are enemies of God. Yep. They're being manifested through this oppressive empire. And um, I think the reason being was was when, um, and I know you're going through the history and everything, um, this was written after Sennacherib had came in and surrounded Judah. They'd been in siege. The Syrian army was all around them. And uh, it was one of those what-if moments in history where God then defeats the army. Sennacherib runs back to Nineveh, and uh, he gets killed. Mm -hmm. He gets Mm -hmm. assassinated. So if if Assyria would have continued the siege they would have took judah captive then judah would have been treated just like northern israel they wouldn't have, wouldn't have been preserved and that would have been the end of it yeah but god is the one that gets vengeance so he gets vengeance on assyria and then later on babylon's going to come take take in uh, uh judah right but he does it to preserve them and so a lot of times we want to get the vengeance we want to be the one that fights the battle we want to fight flesh and blood. We want to fight mm. through governmental means or, you know, however way we're going to do it. And we have to sit back and say, okay, God is the one that's, that's fighting these battles, this cosmic battle you're talking about. And he's going to be the one that gets the vengeance. And it may look like the enemy is winning mm-hmm. and we're being oppressed or persecuted, whatever. But we got to understand and know that God ultimately is in control. And what we see as bad news and bad things may actually turn out to be good news in the long run. Yeah, and, and yeah. I, I think, I think that, that that's so true. I want to talk a little bit about, um, about Assyria as a whole here, because I think there's lessons that we can learn from Assyria as a nation and, and Nineveh here that maybe are, are applicable to us as, as, uh, as citizens of, of this great country too. It always strikes me when we read things like this that here, here you, I mean, we know, okay, the king of Assyria, bad guy, right? We know he's a bad guy. Um, we can see that. We're all Assyrians like the same way. I mean, what about those average Assyrian citizens, right? They're there. And they're, you know, they're not necessarily what we call cruel or barbaric. Not all of them are that way. They, you know, they've got... They've got families and stuff, but yet I'm sure that they were they were proud to be a part of this great empire, even though this empire was being built upon um, injustice and cruelty and all these things. So I guess the question I have, guys, and whoever wants to take it can take it. But how is it? How do we how do we recognize that? Um, how do we recognize in our like to know? When um, when there's cruelty or there's there's wrongdoing or there's injustice going on, how is it that we don't get caught up in the raw raw patriotism, right? Um, so much so that we 
um, that we forget about like what it's being built on. Not saying that that's happening in America right now. I'm not saying that. I'm just right. saying it could happen. Th- th- that kind of thing. Obviously, the Assyrians were duped, right? Or they they were brought in under this idea. How do you how do you keep that from happening? How they didn't recognize it. How could we uh, yeah. see that? It's kind of interesting. When I was reading a lot, you know, when when you prepare these messages, you read so much and you see so many different uh, perspectives. And um, one of the one of the commentaries commentators uh, was, was talking about how uh, at the end of World War II, when the Nazis were defeated, mm-hmm. that many of the the sermons and many of the uh, messages from pulpits sounded just like Naaman, mm. because you know they're happy that this enemy was defeated. Right. Um, so it goes back to your question then: is is that People that don't have God, they don't have a relationship with God, they're, they're going to follow something or somebody. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we are in the world today. And as we as Christians, we've got to use discernment to understand and know oppression and uh, try to remedy causes when we can and try to you know help people out as much as we can in order to have a, a, a hearing for the gospel. Right. Um, so, I mean, when you look even at our own, you know, our own denomination, you know, it was, it was we had people that were oppressive you know owners of people right but yet they wanted to be missionaries and they wanted to be baptists and not everybody treated people cruelly but there was there was a lot of people that did and so we've got to recognize the fact that we can't point the finger i think that's what judah was doing they're pointing the finger like oh yeah they're destroyed they're destroyed they're destroyed yay we won because god's on our side he defeated our enemies right and so same way for us as America, we've got to be very careful um, because just because someone's an enemy of America may not necessarily mean they're an enemy of God right now. Mm. And that's kind of hard to understand mm. and know, yeah. to think about. Yeah. Um, and, and so when we intertwine it all like they did, they, you know, Nahum was a nationalist. Mm-hmm. That's what one commentary described him. That, you know, he was pro-Israel, pro-Judah, you know, we're going to wipe out all of our enemies. And so when Jesus shows up on the scene, he's dealing with the same people. Yeah. You know, they're looking for this Messiah that's going to come in and conquer their, their enemies. And so we as Christians then, we're all waiting for Jesus to come back. And I think a lot of people are waiting for Jesus to come back so he can just get everybody. Right. But the book of Nahum, because it's that burden, yeah. it should say, I don't want people to be destroyed. Mm-hmm. And yes, Israelites were destroyed under the siege of Babylon that mm-hmm. were stationed in Nineveh people from all over the world that were brought there after they conquered these nations they were innocent people that just lived there and they had to be there they were destroyed um, so so the innocent I mean that's that's sin that's the whole consequences of sin you know um, it brings that death and destruction ultimately the ultimate enemy like you were talking about before is going to be God that takes death sin hell grave all was taken on the cross right so we don't have to experience that yeah so, I don't know if that answered your question no it, do, it does a little bit I'll, I'll, you touched on something there that I know is probably a sensitive area but it's 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 just, it's just true um, that you know we even in our own denomination found ourselves really on the wrong side of history um, and and you look back at that and go, how did that happen, Jeremiah? I'm like, how, does, how is it possible that people could be that wrong about something and champion it, right? Yeah. And how do we keep that from happening now? 
Yeah, I think, um, I guess the New Testament way of saying it would be to say that we're citizens of a different kingdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not saying don't be a patriot, but man, if your patriotism is trumping your your citizenship in heaven, then you're living in sin. And it's clear. It, I think the Bible is clear on that. We're foreigners here. We're strangers here. We should look different mm-hmm. and sound different. Mm-hmm. And Jeff said it, man. The way, the way God fights his battles is on the cross. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know why we think we've got to fight our battles differently than that. Yeah. Um, and if, if the vengeance is the Lord... Uh, which Nahum says it here, and of course Paul says in Romans 12, if vengeance is the Lord's, that part is up to him. He's going to make all things right. Yeah. Uh, and if in case you're struggling or you feel oppressed or there's injustice happening to you, I think the most comforting thing is to know that sin and injustice and oppression will all be paid for. Right, and that that really that feeds into the final point of Jeff's message was that the, the guilty will be punished. Yeah, I mean Nahum says that, Nahum says this too. He says the Lord will never leave the guilty unpunished. And we touched on this a little bit last week at the end of our Monday main point. Um, you know, when I said, "What about those people who have had injustices done to them? What about those people who are like, well, um, I don't want that person to be forgiven. I don't want them." to because they you know they've taken something from me maybe they they maybe they were responsible for the death of my child maybe they were maybe they you know they 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 took they made my family bankrupt you know they deserve to be punished or you know in other countries other lands they they destroyed our whole city you know like like Assyria and think about that Assyria has come in and destroyed Israel and like, so should Israel want Assyria to experience forgiveness? Is it wrong for them to, to, to cheer on that God's punishing the guilty? Yay! They're getting what they're, they're getting what they deserve, right? Encore. Yeah, encore. More God, more. Like, is it wrong for us to have that attitude on this side of the cross, man? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, I, I think, no, it's not wrong to have that attitude. It's our nature, and I think it's the Lord's nature that justice be served. That's just true. But when I say that all sin, and I mean every individual sin, sin against you, sins that you have done, they will all be punished. Every sin will be punished. The the good news about the gospel is, is that while that sin will be paid for, and if Jesus doesn't pay for it, you will pay for it. And that's the gospel. So all those who are apart from Christ, the, the glorious thing about the gospel and the glorious thing about Jesus is I don't have to pay for my own sin. Mm-hmm. But rest assured in knowing every sin will be punished or will be paid for. It's just that it's, uh, Jesus will cover the sins of many. So Blake, how do I, how do I take that knowledge that every sin is going to be paid for and how do I, should I want my enemy to experience forgiveness? Should I want the person who's wronged me and wronged my family, should I want them to experience forgiveness? And if so, why? 
Well, to simply answer your question, yes. And it's definitely only by the power of the gospel that we mm. can even say yes or even think about uttering the word yes in a scenario like that. Why? We were an enemy of God ourselves. We were just as guilty as these people, just in different ways. And it's real It's real easy to confess everybody else's sin, but we got to realize that we had our part in murdering Jesus on the cross too with mm-hmm. our sin, just as much as what they did. Mm-hmm. And so having a right view of self and slowly letting the Holy Spirit work on you and removing your heart of stone and replacing it with the heart of flesh, I think you can get to the point of forgiving. And, but that does take a long time. That takes a long time, especially if somebody's taken something like a child from you. Um, I'm not sitting here saying that you need to, you're living in sin and you need to repent and forgive. But what I'm saying is that's a great goal to work towards. Mm-hmm. Because it will show the love of the gospel. If the, uh, there was a famous court case, and I can't remember what it was, but a uh, guy had gone in and basically just derailed a whole family, shot up a bunch of people, and these and these people basically said, "We forgive you," in the court case, and basically shared the gospel in the courtroom. And what a great testament! What a great testimony of the gospel mm-hmm. when something like that can happen. I think it might have been the African American church shooting. Well, down, I, that's what I was yeah, say, down right? in yeah. Uh, Charleston, yeah, where South was Carolina. Yeah, uh, yeah. In fact, that's what I was going to bring up when when the shooting happened in Charleston. Yeah. You know, that young man drove down there, wanted to cr- create a, a race war was his intent, and um, but each one of the, I mean, when you look at everything that happened in America with with the shootings and stuff and the riots and all, there's two different reactions. The Charleston one was that church when when the guy was having his hearing, the initial hearing, whenever it was, mm-hmm. people came in there one after the other, forgiving him. Mm-hmm. And Charleston did not experience riots and burning and looting and everything that happened. And Charleston at the time had the rebel flag flying over or, or the capital of South Carolina, Columbia had the rebel flag flying mm-hmm. on the state grounds. Mm-hmm. And they came together, and the flag was removed, but it, it was everybody. Republicans, Democrats, independents, whites, blacks, everybody. Like, this is, this is not a Republican governor. You know, they, they're all like, this is not good. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of good was accomplished there. And uh, I think we showed one about the guy in Texas, the young man, the police officer, I think, killed somebody, and he yeah. went and hugged her. <laughs> You know, during the trial, I mean, it was both of those were like the picture of what the gospel, the, the the reconciliation to come together, as opposed to, I still want my vengeance, even though these are God's enemies and I was done wrong. There still needs to be some retribution and reparation and paying for, and right. I still need my justice. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where we live in our society today. Some people moving towards forgiveness other people moving towards justice yeah and how we can bring the two together is is only going to come through the cross as well that's right i think it's at the cross you see justice and mercy come together yes and 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 really that's that's where all these these old testament uh, minor prophets are pointing us is right back to the cross and so and for that 
we can certainly be thankful, right, fellas? Yeah. All right. So, great. It's been a good discussion today, guys. I've enjoyed this. Um, So, next week, um, we'll be back here at Money Main Point after Thanksgiving. We'll uh, be looking at the the minor prophet Habakkuk. And, uh, again, short book. I encourage you to read it. Uh, You want to talk about somebody who's wrestling with God, wrestling with the problem of evil, wrestling with this idea of justice and mercy. Um, It's a great book to tackle all those issues, and we'll do all that and more right here next Monday Monday, uh, morning here on the Monday Main Point. Thanks for listening to us. Have a great Thanksgiving. So long.